0: Before I go any further into the message, I wanted to ask you, who is your best friend? Think of your best friend at this moment. Who is your best friend? Maybe husband and wife here right now is looking at each other saying, oh, you're my best friend. But my wife knows my best friend is not her. It's uh, Lester Del Valle. I'm kidding. Bobby's my best friend too. But but, Lester is also a, a good friend of mine, right? Now, Bobby's not here today. Um, she was shy on coming. She had an accident with her horse, and her face was a little scratched up. So keep her in prayer, but uh, she was embarrassed about her, her lips. So uh, that's why she's not here today. I hope she's not calling in on Zoom because she told me not to tell anyone, <laughs> and I just told the whole church. Okay. We're yeah. Oh, well, that's right. We are recording it. So, so who is your best friend? And why are they your best friend? Why are they your best friend? As you're thinking about your friend, I want you to look at this screen. Do you recognize who this baseball player is? Yes, okay, I heard some oh yeah, or or some yeses. Who is it? Yeah, Jackie Robinson, especially if you're a big baseball fan, you know who this player is. And why is Jackie Robinson uh, such a cool person? He was cool because he was the first African American player in baseball in the professional league, okay? Now, uh major leagues, right? Am I correct? Okay. Cuz baseball's not my strong sport. Ask me football and, and basketball. So, every <laughs> year Sure, sure. every year all of baseball wears this number. Yes. Yeah. And what number is that? 42, right? Yes, and you may even have watched the movie from a few years ago about Jackie Robinson's life, uh, number 42, or the movie was called 42. Anyways, Jackie Robinson had a good friend on his team. Do you know who this is? Yes, Pee Wee Reese. Pee Wee Reese was a good friend of Jackie Robinson, especially during this time where he's the first black man to play baseball, he was, he was experiencing a lot of ridicule, a lot of racism, a lot of people s- telling him that he has no business playing baseball. For the most part, Jackie Robinson was able to fight through it. He was able to, to put on a good face and smile through the adversity that he, that he met. But one day, one day, it was all too much. The fans on both sides started yelling and making fun of Jackie for being who he is. And his friend, Pee Wee, saw his face so distraught, so humiliated that you know what Pee Wee did? He ran up to Jackie and he put his hand around his teammate and friend, right? And then they looked at the fans. Dave. No, no, go for it, brother. But the story was is they were throwing bottles at Oh, so it's worse so than just words, you know, right? They were at yeah. Him. It was in Cincinnati, and southern crowd, a lot of southern people yeah. came up just to harass him. And mm-hmm. He went and put his arm around so if the bottles would hit him, it also would hit people. Oh, wow. And so they stopped. Yeah, so that adds more to the yeah. story. That definitely adds more to the story. So, so that, that's what happened. Pee-wee went up to Jackie. No words were said. He just put his hands around Jackie Robinson to let Jackie know you're not alone in this and to let all those people know that we're throwing the words of insult in bottles, glass bottles, they didn't have plastic bottles then, to let the people know don't mess with Jackie. Oh, wow. See, I didn't know that. I don't know my baseball. I'm glad this generation does. Yeah. No, no, no. That's all good, Dave. Now, this picture above is not of, um, those are actors from the movie 42. I couldn't find the actual picture where they were uh, embracing, where Pee Wee was embracing Jackie. Uh, the actor on the left that played Pee Wee is Lucas Black. I, you might also know him from Friday Night Lights. And then on the right is the late Chadwick Boseman, who passed away from cancer, I think, a couple of years ago. Good actor. Both good actors. But the statue, the picture below, is the actual picture of the real statue that stands in Brooklyn. I think it's in Brooklyn, New York. And and so they have they have recognized this this bond between these two men as something that we should always remember because it's a bond. It's a pledge of friendship between two men. And that's what our sermon title today is, A Pledge of Friendship. This is part three of the series that we've had these in this past month, Abraham's Seed. If you recall, two weeks ago, we were talking about being... Uh, Part of Abraham's seed, if we believe in Jesus Christ and that we should be champions of the Holy Spirit's fruit of, of love and patience and long suffering. And then two weeks ago, we talked about how the multitude, the multitude, the, the diverse group of people can come together if God is lifted up. In that sermon, in that message, I encouraged each and every one of us to look past the politics, to look past the divisions in our country, and to rise up because because throughout history, it was the people of God that carried history, if you think about it. So now, today is part three of Abraham's seed, and this message is called the Pledge of Friendship. Where do I get this this title from? Well, we have to go back to our key text. I've read this text several times this past month. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. It says, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is a wonderful passage that I have read countless times. And when I was a young man and a young boy as well, in my teenage years, in my early 20s, in my young adult years, when I read this, this passage, I felt comfort, but then at the same time, there was a sense of uneasiness to it. I don't know how you read it right now, and I don't know how you receive it, but the reason why I had some uneasiness with it was because this, this passage was taught to me in a very contractual type of way. If you do this, then I will be your God. It was taught to me that this is a covenant between God and Abram. And I'm not arguing that. I'm not debating that. I agree that this is a covenant that came from God with, uh, to Abraham or to Abram at this point. I'm not arguing that, but when I heard those words, covenant, and that it's a contract between God and Abram, that it's binding, it shall never be broken, I can't help but think that this doesn't seem so relational to me. It doesn't seem relational, and that's what, that's what didn't sit well with me when I would read this passage, because I was thinking, it, it puts God here, over there, and it puts me over here. Let me illustrate the point. We've called God the, the judge, right? He's the judge. He's our creator. He's omniscient, um, omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He's all of these wonderful things. He's the great healer. He's the great, the great teacher, the great physician. But all of those things just kind of puts him over there, and I'm over here. It doesn't seem so relational. Until I studied this text some more. Until I researched and and read commentaries about this text, and according to our SDA commentaries, here's what, what our commentaries point out, and I love what they say about this text. Such an assurance... What is it talking about? It's talking about the text that we just read. Such an assurance was the highest pledge of friendship and favor God could bestow upon Abram. God considered the insults and wrongs done to his friend and promised to make common cause with him to share his friends and to treat his enemies as if they were his own. What I love about this commentary is that it paints that passage in a more relational type of way and not something like a contract, not something like like the judge is there and I'm over here. It makes it more relatable. It makes it more as if God is reaching out as a friend to Abram and, and saying, Here, I want to have a relationship with you. That God is not a God that is a judge seated at his, at his bench. If you've ever seen, um, let's say, a, a courtroom, a show that has a courtroom about it, you see the judge behind his bench, and then where is the defendant, right? He is 10 feet, 15 feet away from the judge, And then on top of that, can he talk to the judge if he wanted to? No, he needs a lawyer, a lawyer that he has to pay. Because if he didn't pay that lawyer to be there, would the lawyer even be there? No, the lawyer wouldn't go there out of love for that person. So that's why it felt so awkward, that passage. Until I read this, I realized, no, that passage does talk about God being a relational God. That passage does talk about God wanting a friendship with Abram. That passage does tell us that that God is a loving God. And you might say, well, Andre, you're getting this from a commentary. What does the Bible have to say about God pledging his friendship to Abram? Well, here's what we have in 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, not Corinthians. 2 Chronicles tells us, O our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham? Abraham, who? Your friend. Your friend. And then in the book of Isaiah, chapter 41, it says, But you, O Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abram, my friend. That's in Isaiah 41.8. Then one more. Let's go to one more. In the Bible, it also says in the book of James, And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called, what? God's friend. When God approached Abram that day, I have to believe that God approached him with the intention of making Abram his friend. Which is a comforting thought for you and me. Because when God approaches you and me, it's in this context. It's not to hover above you. It's not to say, well, I'm the creator of the universe, therefore you're going to do whatever I tell you to do. It's not like that. God comes to you wanting to establish a friendship. A friendship. Now, let's, let's talk about this for, uh, for a second Because I don't want to diminish the role of God. Because God is... He is our creator. He is the king of all kings. I know some people, when they hear God being described as friend, it sits uneasy for, for some. Because some say, well, if we call God our friend, we are selling him short. Well, you may see it that way if you see your friend as someone that has, that has a lot of shortcomings. But when we describe God as a friend, we cannot see God in the terms of human understanding. We can't. For example, my best friend, regardless of how wonderful he is, he's finite, just like me. I can depend on him for certain things, But then for greater things, there's only one person I can depend on. And who is that? That's God. I'll further emphasize this point through this this passage once again. So let's look at this passage once more. Let's talk about the dynamics of friendship. The dynamic of friendship here is, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. There's the, number, uh, there's the first quality of a friendship with God. What's the first quality? Is dependency on God. How am I getting dependency out of this? It's because God is saying, you're going to leave your country, your people, your father's household, the place of comfort, For the last how many years you've lived in, you're going to leave that place. Not only is your home comfort, but your home is also where you find meaning. Your home is also where you find community. Your home is also where you find belonging. God is telling Abram, leave that place. That place that you're all too familiar with and go. Now, let's put this into our context. How many of us have ever made a move to a place that you don't know anyone. I did that in 2005. Jim raised his hand. Where'd you go, move to, Jim? I'm a preacher's kid. I've done that. Yeah. <laughs> right there you go. But but you were moving with your family though, right? Yeah. Okay. Right, right. Okay, good, good. Um, this is Keo. No, Kai. I'm sorry, Kai. From Missouri. Behind, made you made new friends. Now, before you made that move, I'm going to pick on you because we're, we're talking right now. Uh, how did you feel before you made that move? Right. At first, you were sad, right? Because you were, you were going to say goodbye to your old friends. Do you think Abram was sad? Yeah, Abram was sad. Yeah, but then, like you said, you made new friends. That's the beauty of, of life, right? So thank you, Kai. So, so in 2005, I, was, I decided that, you know, I think Bobby is the one for me, whether she liked it or not. And so no one got that. <laughs> but, so, so I said, I- I'm going to pray about this, and I'm going to ask the Lord to open doors, well, Bobby moved from Colorado. She graduated in CSU, and she moved to California, to Malibu, to, for her graduate studies, okay? She was studying at Pepperdine. So I said, I want to move there too, God, but um, I don't know if I can find work as a pastor out there. I was a pastor at uh, Gulf Haven SDA Church in, in Houston, Texas, and then all of a sudden, doors opened. Glendale Filipino Adventist Church was looking for a youth pastor and i applied and i got the job i got excited and i told bobby hey i'm gonna i'm gonna live close to you and and she didn't look so excited i'm joking (laughs) i think she was excited too so 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 i decided to make the move but like you kai i was scared i had to say goodbye to a lot of my friends in houston i grew up in houston remember that right Now I was going to a new place, a place that was a foreign land to me because I didn't know anyone in Los Angeles. I have extended relatives there, but I've never kept in touch with them. That was a frightening experience. But you know what? Because I did that, I took the leap of faith, it brought me closer to God and also to Bobby. This is where I see the first Uh, quality of friendship between God and you is dependency on God. God sometimes wants us to leave familiar territory just so that we can be more dependent on him. And did you catch it in in this passage? I should have put the verses, but I think this is still verse one. It says, leave your country, leave your father's household and go to the land. Which land, God? Where am I going? Oh, by the way, you don't have a destination yet. I just want you to go. (laughs) Just go. Because that's what it says in the Bible. It says, I will show you. Go to the land, I will show you. So up to this point, Abram doesn't know where he's going. Yet he's going to take his household with him to a land, to a destination that's eventually going to be told to him. That's faith. Your friendship with God, not to diminish that word friendship, because I I truly believe it's an important word that you and I should adhere to right now, to, to accept for our relationship with Him, is that we can be dependent on Him because He knows what's good for you. He knows what to provide for you at the proper time, at the right time. And so Abraham went ahead and picked up his bags, packed his, I should have said packed his bags and picked up his family, and he started to proceed, leaving the land of Ur towards the promised land. Destination unknown. At least I knew where I was going. At least I knew I was going to Los Angeles, California, but Abram didn't know where he was going. Then the second quality about a friendship with God because it's God that makes the pledge of friendship with you. He made the pledge of friendship with Abram. He's the one that put his arms around you and around, and around Abram like, like Pee-wee did to Jackie, right? The second quality about a friendship with God is found in this next verse. It says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and those who curse you. I will curse. To put that in our context today, it's pretty much talking about God having your back. God being your advocate. Going back to that illustration of the courtroom where the judge is on the other side of the room and you are here. God is the one that, that closes that gap. He's the one that closes that gap because he wants to be with you. And in order to be your advocate, uh, in order to, to be found righteous, he wants to be your advocate as well. So he's your lawyer. Therefore, because we know God and Jesus are one, therefore, we can say that God is also our advocate as well as the one who justifies us who justifies us, who forgives us of our sins when we might be the one who's hard to forgive our own sins. He advocates for us when we say, God, I don't deserve that. I don't deserve that forgiveness. I don't deserve that second chance. But God says, yes, you do because you've repented. He's our advocate as well. That's what this passage means. What does he advocate for? He advocates for blessings unto you. That word blessing in the Hebrew, the root word in Hebrew is barak. Barak can be translated as blessing, but it can also be translated as praise. I praise you. Or it can also be translated to say, I give you strength. I give you strength. So in this regard, God may potentially, maybe the translation should have been said, and I will make you strong. I will give you the strength to overcome the challenges you face on this journey that you're going to go on. God blesses, God barak. He gives barak to you and me. He blesses because he calls us his friend. And if you haven't caught on to it yet, as I mentioned just a few seconds ago, it's God who's reaching out to make that pledge of friendship with you. He's the one that is pushing forward for that friendship. So a quality friendship with God, number one, it means to trust in Him entirely, to be entirely dependent on Him. And then number two, number two is that He's going to bless you, He's going to give Barak to you. And then number three, what's the the third quality in having a friendship with God? Well, that's where we're going to have to go, to Jesus Himself. Jesus, from his own mouth, said this, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. And this is what I command. What's his command? To love each other. To love each other. So the third quality in having a friendship with God means to give your life to Him because He gave His life to you. Let me say that again. The third quality in having a friendship with God is sacrifice. Giving your life to Him because He gave His life to you. And I'm glad Dave told me about that story with Jackie and Pee Wee because I didn't realize it was bottles being hurled at Pee Wee or at Jackie. And to think that Pee Wee even stepped up, stepped up to, to, to be right next to, to Jackie, regardless of the bottles being thrown at him as well, that's bravery, that's sacrifice, that's... A true friend saying, I am willing to take the blows for you and with you. Now, I have to ask this of our church. Are we taking blows for each other? Are we stepping up to, to each other's side, extending our arm and embracing the other person to say, I'm here with you when no one else is with you? When everyone else is against you, I'm here. Just like Pee Wee did to Jackie. In essence, just like what Jesus did for you. A closing thought from Revelation. Let's turn our Bibles to that, to this text Revelation chapter 21. And hopefully you can really understand and see a relational God, a God who longs to have a friendship with you, with me. In Revelation 21, tell me what picture comes to mind as I read this and as you read it in your seat. Revelation 21, verse 3. I should have brought my glasses. <laughs> That's why I do PowerPoint now. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with mankind and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be, uh, will be with them and be their God. I want you to think about the picture that comes to mind, okay? He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God and he will be my son or my daughter. What's the picture that you get in your mind? Is it a picture of a God who is here behind his bench, and you are over here? Or is it a picture closer to this, where God is embracing us? That's, that's the book of Revelation. Revelation. A lot of people are scared of that, but why should you be scared of the book of Revelation when we just read that God's, it said that God will wipe away every tear? I don't get the picture of a judge being here behind his bench and then you and I are over here. I see a picture of a God approaching Nathan and saying, No more tears, and touching Nathan's cheek to wipe away those tears. I see a picture. I, uh, the picture I'm seeing in my head is a God who comes to you to embrace you and to say, "Welcome, welcome in your heavenly home." That's the picture I get. It's not a God who's distant. So I just read something from book end to book end, from Genesis to Revelation, and in between we saw where God calls Abram friend. This is proof that God longs to be. To be a friend with you. To have a relationship with you. He called Abram friend and he wants to call you friend as well. That that is his pledge to you and me. And if you don't believe it, then look at Calvary. Look at Calvary. Because Jesus said there is no greater love than this. Than a friend giving up his life for another it's what Jesus did and I think you and I can do that too I think so